0: Welcome to Bookends, a virtual book club brought to you by The Team Approach. I'm your host, Susan Stamm, and today our guest is Michael Dalworth, the author of The Connect Effect, Building Strong Personal, Professional, and Virtual Networks. To access today's podcast or any of our programs, visit bookendsbookclub.net, and be sure to check out our resource blog for free chapters and materials provided by the authors featured on this program. Michael Dahlworth, welcome to Bookends. Well, Thank you, Susan. It's great to be with you. In the, in the preface of your book, you talk about the more traditionally known kinds of networking, you know, those events that we attend all these different functions and we have the big pile of business cards with us and we hand them out to everyone. But then you go on to explain that networking can be much more and even share some examples of innovative ways that individuals and even corporations have leveraged networks to do really amazing things. Let's begin with Procter & Gamble's Connect and Develop program. Tell us about this. What is this and how does it work? So, you know, Connect and uh,
1: Develop is an instance where a company has formed an external network of really researchers and I think it's, you know, well over a thousand researchers worldwide And what they do simply is post a challenge or a problem that they have, you know, how to make Pampers more absorbent. And they send out, you know, this challenge to the network, if you will, and then people respond with ideas and um, maybe research findings that they've been working on that um, could be relevant to this challenge that P&G has posted. So, you know, it's sort of analogous to 3M and, you know, when they, uh, you know, discovered in a sense post-it notes, I think they were actually working on the development of a, of a super adhesive. Um, you know, like Gorilla Glue or something that, you know, couldn't be broken from a, from an adhesive perspective. And then someone formulated something which actually became the basis of Post-it notes. So it's that kind of thing. And I think in the book, I have a phrase um, that starts off the book. It says, um, networks can change the world. Uh, every node matters. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the power of the network can really be, um, you know, that kind of of um, situation that people can, you know, come together as networks and really change the world, whether that's in the sense of a new product or something different. Mm
0: -hmm. And what's really interesting about this is, Kind of how the um, kind of the dark lines that we're used to seeing around the edge of well here's where the corporation begins and here's where it ends, this whole process creative process invites people from the outside in, and I think that's what's so interesting about this
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: well, other examples in the book illustrate how networks can solve global human challenges. Tell us about the 2006 Nobel Prize winner, Muhammad Yunus' initiative.
1: Yeah, so you know that's all about creating um, an organization that does micro lending. So you know the whole you know concept or idea there is to connect people who have money and doesn't need to be a lot of money. Could be fifty dollars. Um, with people who can take that kind of money, um, really in developing economies and put it to, you know, good work, um, and leverage it, if you will. And so, um, you know, his initiative was to build, you know, that kind of network of people who need the money, the micro lend, the micro loan, and people who have the money. And I think, you know, obviously, um, you know, the Internet and the way of of organizing these networks in today's world um, is certainly much easier um, than it was in the past. And, you know, we're even seeing that um, with some of the, you know, the Arab Spring and the kind of initiatives that are going on within these um, countries where people are communicating and at the day, you know, at the end of the day, sort of building networks to, um, you know, affect uh, regime change.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting the the point of technology that you make there. That, um, you know, probably twenty years ago, um, an initiative like micro lending, I mean, maybe you could do it on a small scale. Uh, you know, but my ability to loan money to a farmer in Sudan or, or um, um, you know, somewhere uh, in Somalia, um, you know, I would I would never have access to an opportunity to touch someone's life that way as I can today. It's it's kind of fascinating uh, that you know technology we're kind of catching up to the ability to really leverage it with things like this.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's a number of, you know, environments or sites that have now popped up, you know, around this general idea. Um, you know, there are places to make um, sort of micro loans to nonprofits or, you know, direct, um, you know, loans to, um, you know, organizations, even kind of venture capital type initiative that, you know, people have put in place. So, you know, at the end of the day, and just my, you know, simple view of it, it's sort of all about the network.
0: Yeah. Well, one more example, Michael, uh, would you please share with us uh, kind of an update on the the Vera Max House Project, and this is your own initiative um, that leverages the idea of networking. Could you tell us a little bit about how this project is going since your book was released and you know some of the information shared within the book? Tell us what 's happening today. Sure. So you
1: know that was an example of um, you know sort of me just personally. Um, taking on um, an initiative within San Francisco to help um, older homeless women. And I work down in the financial district of San Francisco, and there just are a lot of these women around the neighborhood. And I was kind of struck by it and and sort of said to myself, you know, why is this? It just seemed out of place or sort of odd to me. And obviously, you know, this was um, sort of an early part of the, the recession or the start of the recession back in 2007. And so, you know, I took that um, on as a sort of a personal challenge and said, you know, how could I build an organization that could help these women and So, you know, simply reached out to my personal and professional network as a first step and talked to a number of people about the the problem and said, you know, would you be willing to come together sort of as a board um, to, you know, form an organization that would try to help um, these women out? And so we did that and um, you know, brought together about eight people and learned a lot about the problem over time, and formed a 501, Speak free, and did all of that, and um, you know, built a, a team that you know helped these these women um, get off the street. And yeah. um, it went has been you know in in existence for a number of years now. Um, interestingly, um, as a sort of a small nonprofit. Um, we did have difficulty with fundraising. Um, you know, there's a lot of sort of competing, you know, good, good um, charities and, and nonprofits out there. And we, you know, had a real niche, if you will, around these older homeless women, you know, mm-hmm. close, close 50 or 55 years in age. And so what we ended up doing at the end of last year is we actually merged um, Vera Max into a much larger Nonprofit um, hmm. uh, called La Casa here in San Francisco, and so they've taken it on as a piece of their larger portfolio, and they focus on battered women and some other areas and, and even elder abuse and, and some things like that. So this fit in sort of perfectly to their portfolio, and now VeraMax is a part of a much larger organization, which gives it much more stability. Um, going forward, and then a number of the people from my board at Viramax have now joined the board of La Casa. It's
0: really a a neat way to to solve a problem. We talk about thinking globally and acting locally. It's a a great example of that. Um, As you you were kind of getting into this whole thing in the very beginning with uh, Viramax, um, were you finding that it was just easy to reach out to maybe people perhaps in the business community that maybe hadn't ever been associated with a project like this through your network connections? Um, Are there any stories or or interesting things that happened as you tried to find the right players to help you meet some of the the goals or, or the hopes or dreams or visions of what you wanted to do for these women?
1: Well, you know, I do have a sense that, um, you know, most people would like to give back to the community and probably do in multiple ways. Um, but, you know, we're all busy, busy, busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, having somebody sort of bring up the, the problem and at some level sort of lead the organization, um, you know, I didn't have anybody turn me down, quite frankly, when I asked them and I asked them, you know, tried to build a board that had, you know, clinical psychologists and somebody associated with the city government and an architect and a lawyer and, you know, the people that I thought would be sort of um, necessary to build up an organization of this type. Um, But I I think, you know, there is a a phrase in the book that I actually um, stole from Marshall Goldsmith, who's a best-selling author and a friend of mine. And he um said give first and give often and you know that's one of the mantras in the book is to give first and give often. And I think that um you know in the context of networking it's very important because, you know, at some level, you know, I was giving these people sort of an opportunity to give back in a in an in an interesting way, in a in a you know, not necessarily an easy way, but, mm-hmm. you know, they had to commit time and resources to this. But it did give them um, some way of of organizing that, um, you know, seemed to work for them. So I think that concept of give first and give often is really a central one to networking um, efficiency, networking effectiveness.
0: I think you make a, a really important point there, uh, Michael, in that, you know while you were re- recruiting people to help solve a problem and certainly an important problem um, and you know uh, really fulfill a great vision uh, that you had, uh, you were also providing an opportunity for people to give back, and I think that is a desire that you know many of us have. And so you were helping them fulfill some personal needs while they were serving this this important cause. Great, great yeah, I mean, it's not un,
1: unlike, you know, Procter & Gamble at some mm-hmm. level, right? They're mm-hmm. the organizer, they're the catalyst, you know, they're building the network, they're maintaining the network. So, you know, totally different context, but very similar in some of its sort of underlying principles.
0: Yeah. What a great example of a win-win. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to get into more detail on your personal networking journey. But for now, would you tell us about your earliest networking triumph and um, some of the needs that networking can satisfy if it's done successfully? Well,
1: I'm not exactly sure which one of those you're talking about in the book, but I do, you know, one does pop into my mind. And, um, you know, it was when I was trying to get into college and um, you know, looking at various schools and um, trying to figure out where the best place was for me. And turned out that my family's from Michigan, and my dad always wanted me to go to the University of Michigan. and um, but it's a very difficult school to get into. Um, so I ended up um, uh, talking to an uncle of mine who went to Michigan. And he set up a meeting for me with, um, the entrance people at Michigan, which is, you know, not something that you do just normally, um, you know, usually just apply and they say yes or no. But I was able to get a meeting and go talk to, um, some people at the university. And I think that, that, that helped me a great deal in, in getting in, um, to Michigan. And, um, you know, it was in a sense through the network, um, and as I talk in the book, the, the idea that you sort of start your network with your family, um, you know, with your parents to begin with as sort of the first two people in your network, and then your siblings, and then your aunts and uncles and cousins. And then, of course, it gets into your friends and schoolmates and sort of builds from there. But I think it was a really good example of sort of the power of the network, being able to open doors um, through a relationship where you know I might not have been able to open that door myself, and so therefore I may never have gotten into Michigan and then you know your life takes these you know turns and goes down these paths because of things that happen like that and yeah. I think it was just a great example of you know the the use of a of a personal network like an uncle
0: yeah, it really is a great example, and I you know, wonder how many young people it seems like an obvious thing, but I don't really know that it is that obvious. i I would suspect that a lot of people miss the opportunities that are closest to them, those closest connections and the doors that that could potentially be opened through you know people that are right there in their own families. It's a great example.
1: yeah you know in the book too, I talk about you know sort of step one to networking is to actually map your network, and you mm-hmm. can do this in lots of different ways just whatever sort of works best for you what i did was sort of a you know a flow chart starting with you know the first two people in my network are my mother and father and then you know my siblings as i mentioned my aunts and uncles my cousins and just cascade down through you know a flow chart but also a you know your timeline of your life and and if you do that you you end up i think sort of identifying that you have a much better network than you probably think you do yeah. when you look at it that way. And and it makes you also remember a whole bunch of people that you probably have forgotten about, um, you know, old teachers and, you know, old colleagues and old friends and, you know, people that aren't part of your sort of present network in an active sense today, but are, sort of there in the past. And Mm -hmm. I think that you can easily go back to people. And that's, you know, one of the great things that LinkedIn does and Facebook does is it allows you to reconnect with people in that way in a very easy way and then sort of keep track of them, um, you know, in a better way going forward. And I think if you do that, um, you can, uh, you know, find out that you have a much better network than you thought you did. And then one of the games that I think is very interesting to do or sort of one of the um, things to do with that network is to play the you know, sort of two degree of separation, one degree Mm -hmm. of separation game where you say, okay, you know, I have this uncle, you know, who's one degree away from him, so two degrees away from me, and what, um, you know, what can I do with his network? Um that you know could help me advance my career or help me with something that I'm interested in, or maybe I just identify that, um put it in the in the database, if you will, and then you know might be relevant five years from now that I've sort of identified you know the the broader network, if you will, through my existing network
0: yeah that's great and and I was really uh, intrigued by how you helped people really look at and begin to chart and, and think about um, who those people are. As you say, you know, from, from your past, maybe they're not in your immediate present, but certainly who do they know and, and how might they be able to um, open a door or help you reach a goal that you're trying to, um, trying to reach. Good stuff. He introduced us to a new kind of intelligence in the book, our NQ. Tell us about this.
1: Well, your NQ is your networking quotient. Um, you know, it's analogous to your um, intelligence quotient, your IQ, um, and then, you know, what is maybe a, sort of a newer concept that I describe in the book called your emotional intelligence quotient, EIQ, Daniel Goldman, you know, mm-hmm. writing a book about emotional intelligence. And I, I think that, um, you know, I have an algorithm in the book um, You know, IQ plus EIQ plus NQ equals success. So I think that, you know, at some level, being smart is good. Being smarter may be better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, IQ is important, but that's sort of ingrained in you. You can do something to, I think, improve your capacity to learn, which IQ measures. But, you know, some people just are sort of smarter than others. And um, so it's sort of set. You can't do that much about it. Emotional intelligence, I think, is interesting because I do think you can do a lot about it. It's, you know, a lot about understanding yourself, being emotionally mature, um, you know, being able to deal with situations in different ways, you know, not potentially becoming overly emotional about things in a negative way. Um, you know, trying to be clear-headed in the face of stressful situations and all that kind of stuff. And my sense is about 50% of that is ingrained. You know, you can't do much about, um, but about 50% of it you can, you can do a lot about. But then when you get to the NQ, your networking quotient, you know, my sense is you sort of have total control over that, 100% control, and so it's the one variable in the equation that you can sort of do the most about, um, but, you know, at some level, my sense is people probably, you know, do the least amount uh, of it. So in mm-hmm. terms of like, you know, having, um, you know, the ability to really accelerate your career or make some big difference in the world or just, you know, improve your um, life and your family life and thing, and you know, your emotional health and wellness, um, I think NQ is sort of underrated and that um, a better focus on it or a more significant focus on it can really, um, you know, sort of turbocharge whatever you're trying to focus
0: on. I would agree, and you certainly have demonstrated that again and again in the book when you share, you know, some of your own story, um, uh, how your networking skills have helped to open up many great opportunities throughout your life, Michael. Would you please share just a little of that journey with us and tell us how you've been able to really leverage um, networking to help you accomplish some of the great things that you've done in your life?
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, You know, I I can think back to one of the businesses that I formed, um, which was called Learning Technologies Group, And group was the operative word there in that it was actually um, a partnership between three different companies. Um, So, we were building um, e-learning applications, web-based training and education applications. Um, But to do that, um, you needed a lot of different capabilities, um, in a sense, in in an integrated um, way, um, but, you know, it was very difficult to build an organization that had all of those capabilities embedded within it. So we basically built a network of companies that became um, part of this learning technology group. Um, one was a computer programming firm. One was a um, instructional design educational design firm, and one was a multimedia development firm, sort of the graphics animation kind of stuff that you need to do in these environments. And so we put kind of three organizations together as one, and we're able to go out under, you know, that um, um, entity, uh, Learning technology Group, and compete and win, you know, much bigger contracts that any uh, than any of the three of us could have won on our own because we didn't have, you know, critical component pieces of what was required to deliver the outcome for the client. So I think that's, you know, that's a business example, I think, of, of, you know, where, um, you know, this idea of a network can um, become, you know, so powerful. So at some level, you know, there's been some things written about, you know, like by Clayton Christensen and the innovator's dilemma around the fact that, you know, organizations today, they sort of of compete, but they also collaborate. And you can be, you know, really competing with a firm um, at the same time that you're really collaborating with a firm, and it just depends on the outcomes you're trying to achieve. And it's sort of the nature of the way of the interconnected world that we live in today that you know that sort of situation and um, be you know more of the norm than not.
0: That is such so interesting that you that you bring that up because we are in that our company is in that exact situation right now uh, with a, um, a potentially large contract. Actually, two different contracts. Um, one of our sort of friendly competitors. We actually. Um, are going to be sort of behind the scenes, providing a piece of the services on one of the two projects on the other project. We're kind of going head to head (laughs) in a friendly kind of way. (laughs) It's, it's, um, it's odd, you know, you, you know, years back, I, I would expect these kinds of things never happened where you, you know, are collaborating but also competing. It's it's a, a new business uh, environment today. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Well, you also suggest that these kinds of networks we're talking about, you know, really just don't happen accidentally or grow spontaneously all on their own. Um, and you tell us that we have to plan for networking on a regular basis. And I'm guessing that um, you get a lot of pushback on on that idea. Um, What is your response to people like me, for example, that feel they're just too busy to work this kind of activity in?
1: Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, I think there's a couple things um, that I talk about in the book. One is I think you have to sort of understand, you know, what kind of a networker you are um, and also, you know, analyze what kind of network you currently have. So there's some sort of fundamentals that you have to figure out. Up front, um, you know are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? because I think that could very much dictate you know how you approach networking so i'm um, kind of an introvert at the end of the day, and so this idea of you know going to events and you know going to networking events or any kind of conferences or using that as a mechanism to expand my network is something that I really don't like to do. And so, you know, I can have best of intentions. I can even pay for something and, um, you know, sort mm-hmm. of have that as a way to make me go. But at the end of the day, I'll kind of not go because I just don't feel comfortable and enjoy those kinds of situations. So I think you have to find out, you know, what, you know, sort of deeply um, from an analysis perspective works for you and what you're comfortable with and then to build a plan or an action plan around that. And so I like particularly one-on-one kind of networking. So I do a lot of connecting with people over the Internet, um, but then I um, bring that to -to face-to-face, mostly lunches. I I go to the same place um, in San Francisco for lunch um, usually um, that is really um, quick And the Mm -hmm. food is really good, and the people know me, and they keep me in a good place. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so I have this um, kind of rhythm around this kind of an idea where I feel like, you know, being personally connected to people is really important. It's a different type of connectivity. So the virtual will take you somewhere, and it will take you, I think, though only so far and then yeah. you really need to figure out a way to, to get together face-to-face. And I think video conferencing can, can be very helpful in that. Um, so if you have the technology that can move you to another level of relationship with somebody. But I do still think that the face-to-face um, is very important. So, you know, that's just what has worked for me. Um, but I thought about it, and I, and I created sort of a plan and a, and a rhythm around it that, um, you know, probably at least once a week, I'm having lunch with a new person. Uh, there's a there's a book out um, that was a, a pretty, uh, like a bestseller a number of years ago by a guy by the name of Keith Ferrazzi, and he wrote a book called Never Eat Alone. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it sort of took that idea to the extreme, I think, um, that he basically has You know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner with a different person, either within his network or that he wants to add into his network. um, You know, every day. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I don't know how you can actually do that in a practical sense, but um, you know, that was sort of the concept of the book. And I I think there's a lot to be said for that um, as a as an approach. But if you are an extrovert and you do enjoy the different um, types of of events, then that can be a very good path for you. You know, I've joined a number of boards, um, so that, again, it's more of this intimate form of networking. Right, um, right. I've tried to, you know, get involved in some things, like I'm, I'm uh, involved with the um, Center for Entrepreneurship now at the University of Michigan, and so that's connecting me to a whole bunch of people um, that I wouldn't have been connected to otherwise. It's connecting me to the uh, Students, which, uh, you know, who are really amazing and on, you know, an entrepreneurial journey. I'm now a mentor to a couple companies through that. So, you know, you can just see how you kind of get yourself out there in ways that are of interest and comfortable for you and they can kind of snowball in the network effect at the end of
0: the day yeah and i think it's this personalized approach to this that can make this you know as you say i i'm right there with you i've paid for things and not going going to them because you know i just I just hate those events where you're just supposed to walk around and meet people that you don't know <laughs> It just i don't enjoy those kinds of things um at all uh, and um you, you're you're giving us lots of ideas here on ways and and it's interesting to listen to you because it's obvious um through things that you've shared in the book and and in this interview that one of the things that you really Enjoy doing is helping and giving and making a contribution, and so in a sense, it sounds like you've sort of worked some of that approach kind of almost into your style of networking.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and I think that's the only way that you're going to continue it. You know, it's it's you know very much like you know losing weight or getting in shape or you know whatever a goal is that you have is um, you have to do it in a way that works for you, and then you have to have some cadence and and rhythm, um, you know, to it. I I do think that, um, you know, I say in the book, you know, maybe put a sticky note on your computer monitor and and say, you know, who have you networked with today? Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't mean a new person, but even somebody that's existing in your network, you know, have you just reached out to somebody and said, hey, just interested in what's going on like to reconnect you know that kind of thing but you know who have you networked with today Um, because I think that without those prompts and without um, a discipline around it it's um, you know like flossing it's it's the thing you want to do you know the least right before you go to bed and so most people don't do it
0: so true it's certainly not at the top of their mind. <laughs> well, you offer some really great tips for caring for your network. You know, you go out there and and, and uh, meet those new folks and establish um, people in your personal network. Tell us a little bit about um, you know how we can care for our network. Share some of your your favorite ways of approaching this.
1: Well, I think back to the phrase that I stole from Marshall Goldsmith: just give first and give often. Um, so I'm sort of constantly on the lookout for ways to help people in my network, and and help is you know kind of a broad term, but it can be you know refer them to other people who I think they may be interested in. Of course, you know um, if if I know they have an interest in a certain area, either personally or professionally, and I come across. You know, some information or an article or something that I think they would be interested in, I send that to them. Um, you know, of course, just connecting around birthdays or anniversaries or anything like that is super useful. So I think there's a there's an aspect of keeping in touch with people, you um, know, in, in in ways that are you know give first and give often sort of oriented not, um, you know, I don't think it's as useful just to reach out to people, um, you know, for no reason. So if you Mm -hmm. can kind of come up with a reason, I think that can, um, you know, really uh, help with, uh, you know, the furtherance of that, um, you know, the building of that relationship. So I think that that's, you know, one important way. You know, I've struggled myself, though, with the fact that there doesn't seem to be any really great tools out there to, um, you know, stay in touch with your, you know, your broad network. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there seems that I ask people often, I say, you know, how do you sort of, uh, you know, organize and, and track your your network, you know, personal, professional, virtual And they come back and, you know, list out, you know, eight different ways in which they stay in touch and track their network, Um, you know, can be Facebook, of course, mostly on the personal side or friends, family side, you know, LinkedIn on the professional side. But then, you know, my Outlook database, um, uh, if you're using Microsoft Outlook is another way, you know, your phone. Um, contact list is another way. you know, I have this spreadsheet for this. I have my Christmas card list here. I have a you know box of business cards on my desk. you know, I have this, I have that. and And I think that that's fair um, that you know that there isn't something that sort of brings all of this together in mm. some way that really helps you organize your network and then manage it effectively going forward. But um, I hope to actually have something um, that uh, we can talk about maybe at a different time that Mm. is a tool, uh, uh, an app that would help you bring all that information together and organize it and manage it and leverage it and that kind of thing. So I'm actually working with a a student group from the University of Michigan to create an app Mm. like this. And I think that it could Really help people, you know, just do the basics, manage Mm -hmm. the basics much more effectively than they currently are because I'm, you know, I'm the same way. I'm in 10 different environments and it's not helping me um, (laughs) organize my network and leverage it in a productive way.
0: Are you familiar with the old film Buckaroo Bonsai? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I often think about him. In you, you know, one life he's you know racing either motorcycles or some kind of race cars, and then he's operating on someone's brain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> has some very diverse networks. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I think it will be great uh, if you could develop an app, uh, and then we can all say there's an app for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Let's let's talk about branding. Uh, tell us how we can polish and protect our brand as we network.
1: Well, I think that um, in the context of networking, your personal brand is very, very important, and I just don't think that people think about it very much um, in that context. And so, you know, the first thing I talk about, um, you know, is to sort of analyze your current brand. Um, you know, how, how do you project yourself to the marketplace, much like a product, um, you know, would be branded and then projected to the marketplace? So, what is, you know, your personal brand? You know, how do people see you is maybe the easiest way to think about it. But then I think, um, you can also, um, you manage your brand, um, and change your brand, if you will. And I think it's very important, especially in this um, you know, internet world, uh, virtual world, to um, understand the things that you're doing and how they can affect your brand um, and your brand presence. So one of the simple things to do, obviously, is to Google your name and yes. find out what comes up, and especially what comes up on the first page. Um, because you might be really surprised at the stuff that people find on you that is sort of out there in the internet ether that um, you may not really want them mm-hmm. to see. You know, could be stuff that you posted, things you said, um, money that you've given to a political party. You know, who knows what? You know, what organizations you're a member of. Um, and, um, you know, I can tell you that when you meet somebody new, um, one of the first things they're likely to do is to, you know, Google you and to find out, you know, what your least online brand presence is. Mm-hmm. So I pay a lot of attention to that. Um, but I also think just in terms of, of you know, how you want to be perceived by potential um, 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 organizations that want to hire you you know, how do you want to be perceived in your community, how you want to be perceived with your friends, you know, that it's all wrapped up in this area of brand, and it's something that you should pay a lot of attention to.
0: It certainly is, and is um, it's it's great to know that people can rebrand themselves if they've made some mistakes or maybe found themselves aligned with some things and they're trying to go in a new direction. So, um, but obviously you want to think long and hard about those decisions before you have something that you need to later on correct. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us a little uh, about the the kinds of peer-to-peer networks that we can join, and why is it that people find these kinds of um, peer networks so valuable?
1: So the company that I currently run um, is called Executive Networks, and what we do is form and manage and facilitate um, networks for senior executives from the largest companies in the world. So if you think about let's say the head of human resources, the chief human resource officer in a company like Nestle or um, IBM or Procter and Gamble, what these networks do is they bring together people that are like them in a sense, not like them in terms of, you know, gender or anything like that, but like them in terms of the type of job that they have, you know, chief human resource officer, but then, you know, from large global companies, let's say. And we put them together in a, in a network of about 50 other chief HR officers. And then what these forums become are really um, sort of trusted and confidential environments for sort of deep knowledge um, and information exchange. and. What we find, especially as people move up sort of the corporate ladder, is that they, they're kind of lonely jobs at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So they don't um, get access to the kind of, of um, community that they used to have. So they have to pay more attention to what they're saying, how they're saying it, you know, what they do, how they do it, and that kind of thing. So when they're in a network of their peers, it's Again, sort of trusted, confidential, and they're able to open up and talk more about what's going on in their jobs and with their organization and with their people in ways that they may not be able to, you know, and obviously a much more public forum or even, you know, with their um, sort of um, colleagues um, in their organization, they may not be able to talk about certain things in the same kind of way. So we think that these peer networks, you know, whatever it is, um, are very powerful um, forums um, for people to be involved in, especially from a career enhancement um, sort of perspective. But there's also these um, sort of networks that I describe in the book called communities of practice, where they're basically around uh, more around an interest. So it could be a community around mountain bikers um, in Northern California. And so, you know, a group of people would come together and it's not so much their peers from a from a job perspective or from a position uh, perspective in an organization, but they have a commonality of interest around a topic or what's called a domain area like mountain biking. And I also think that those can be very Good places to connect with people who have similar interests to you to expand your network in, um, you know, in a very broad sense. So they, I kind of think of these different um, forums as, as um, being somewhat unique, the community practice being one sort of mechanism or form of a, of a network and the peer network as being another
0: these are These are really great and uh, great opportunities for for certainly for people to not have to um you know, feel so alone uh in the peer to peer professional approach that you spoke to first um, I think that those are incredibly valuable and certainly to find and connect with people who are interested in the same things that you are certainly makes life a richer and more fuller experience. I think these are really great opportunities for us. My favorite part of your book, Michael, uh, was the chapter on tapping into organizational networks. This was just really interesting um, uh, way of looking at organizations and, and really was new. I had not encountered this, these, um, this approach or this idea before. Can you tell us a little about how we can discover these networks and why this information could be so valuable to us?
1: Sure. Um, so I mostly referenced the work, professor at the University of Virginia. His name is Rob Cross, um, and he wrote a book a while ago. He's written multiple books, but um, the one I remember is The Hidden Power of Social Networks. And so what Rob does, which a number of academics do, he's not the only one focusing in this area, is they go into organizations and they analyze the organizations from a network perspective. So they're looking at, you know, basically the informal network, you know, not the um, job uh, or the org chart and, you know, the formal structure of a company. But, you know, I use the phrase, you know, how does work really get done in these organizations? And what you find when you actually map these informal networks, Um, is that work kind of doesn't get done through the the hierarchy, if you will, through the formal structure, that it really gets done through this idea of informal networks. And so through this, what they call organizational network analysis, they're able to actually chart or visualize the informal network, you know, who's connected to who, how they're connected to these people how much they communicate, how they communicate, all these different variables and get collected and analyzed and then presented in the visual map. And then through that, you can figure out a number of different things about these organizations. You know, who's really like a, you know, is sort of a holds the power, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day from a knowledge perspective within an organization. You know, who's talking to who um, in these organizations or across divisions or across functions, you know, that kind of thing. You can find out in these kinds of analyses. You know, who's um, sort of in the middle of the network, sort of working, you know, um, actively within the network, and who's sort of on the periphery. You know, who's connected to who, people who you think in the org chart you know, are obviously connected to each other, you might find that they're totally disconnected from each other when you really map the network. So it's just a way, I think, of really understanding um, how um, networks really work within companies or organizations or even across organizations. And then you can have very different, I think, approaches to improving the organizations in various ways through that understanding about how the network really operates in a given um, organization or a, di- uh, a given company, so I think it's a very powerful analysis. It's not a you know it's not an easy analysis mm-hmm. to do. It's got some real sort of methodological and technical kind of components to it that you have to pay a lot of attention to. But you know, some organizations have now developed some software around this that mm-hmm. you can. Um, utilize to make it easier to collect the data, if you will, and then analyze it and to visualize it and manipulate it and things. So I think it's going to become easier and easier going forward to do this type of thing, which I think can really, really help people understand both their own place within Mm -hmm. the network, if you will, but also um, how organizations really operate
0: you know this is one of those kinds of things where you know a picture is worth a thousand words and um you know I hope people will will get a copy of your book and um you know you could see in the graphic illustrations that you use to kind of demonstrate this where you have a key player in an organization that literally is linked to everyone you know you could just imagine the disastrous effect of having that person leave the organization Um, You know, certainly I would think uh, that having this kind of information could really, um, you know, help save uh, some of those real key players uh, uh, that just, you know, could walk away with, uh, you could see the whole shift of how communication would shift and, you know, the, the, um, the knowledge drain that it would cause for a person in one of those key, key roles that's, has all those connections. It was just, when I I looked at the, the picture, it just opened my eyes. It was really very powerful.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, so many people struggle with social networking, and you touched on this a little earlier in our conversation. Um, it, it doesn't seem, you know, a day doesn't go by where there's a new book or a new webinar, and everyone, of course, is saying, you know, we need to do this, we should be doing this, and here's how to do it, or here's how to get better at it. Um, How should we factor this into kind of our total networking plan? And why should people be on board if if they've not already done so? Well, I guess, you know, one of the things that um, I have in
1: the book is sort of a top 10 networking tips, um, sort of like the David Letterman, you know, top 10 list. And um, one of the aspects um, in that uh, list is um, diversity, diversity, diversity. And I, I think you have to really look at the diversity of your network um very closely. And I had it when I wrote the book and it got published, I had it as maybe like the sixth or seventh, you know, um tip. And and then in subsequent presentations that I've done around the book, I've moved it up and moved it up, and it's probably two or three right now in the list of what I think is the most important. Thing that you can do in terms of your network, and I think that you know when you map your network early, as I talked about, you're likely to have a fairly homogeneous network. And what I mean by that is it's probably going to look a lot like you. So I yeah. you know I'm a white male. Um, you know I'm in my 40s. I mean my network is probably going to look a lot like me um, at the end of the day. And I think that for a network to be truly powerful. It needs to be diverse, and, you know, a social network can be a way to quickly um, increasing the diversity of your network, and I can't um, sort of overemphasize the importance of that because when you're, um, you know, trying to move into a new area, you're trying to do something differently, or you just don't, you know, can't connect the dots yourself, I think the more diverse and the more broad your network, the more possible it is that you're going to find something or connect with something that's going to give you what you need or give you that aha moment um, that you're looking for. So, I, I stress this idea of diversity in the book and even more in subsequent thoughts around networking. And I think that, you know, virtual networks, social networks, whatever you're calling them, can be a wonderful way to um, extend your network. Um, You know, there's a lot of research that's been done about um, what are called weak ties and this idea that you have your strong ties in your core network, in a sense, and then you have varying degrees of weak ties as you move out from that network, kind of second degree of separation, third degree, mm-hmm. fourth degree, if you will. But what the research finds is that, you know, in terms of like finding a job or, you know, finding this innovation or, you know, connecting something that you didn't think of before, a lot of that happens in the, in the weak ties. And so I think that having a broad network and one that is diverse and be a way to very much accelerate the power of the network.
0: That's great. That is excellent advice. And. And uh, we we really only have scratched the surface of your book today, Michael. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Bookends and for challenging us to polish up on our own networking skills and certainly to develop our personal NQ. Um, as a reminder, to begin this work, I wanted to uh, encourage people to visit bookendsbookclub.net. And we will be posting a copy of the NQ survey that Michael has developed and is included in his book. Um, You're also going to want to get your own copy of The Connect Effect. And to get this book, we encourage you to visit the publisher's website, which is bkconnection.com. As a reminder, all of our Bookends podcasts can be found on both BookendsBookClub.net and also iTunes, where you can subscribe and and get them on your smartphone each month. Be sure to check out our resource blog for resources that are provided by the authors that are featured on this program. Bookends is brought to you by The Team Approach. Our producer is John David Bowman. I'm Susan Stamm, and I want to thank you again, Michael, for joining us today. It's been really a pleasure to visit with you. Well, thank you,
1: Susan, for inviting me.
0: And thanks so much to everyone for listening. Bye-bye.